0: You know, repelling off the of rooftops of buildings, breaking windows and jumping in the window with the dog on you and clearing buildings. All kinds of all kinds of fun those dogs are having and getting exposed to and it's 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 pretty awesome.
1: Welcome to Canine Top Tales, a podcast which honors the work, dedication, and experience of police, military, and working canines and their handlers. I am your host, retired FBI Special Agent and 26-year canine handler and trainer, Sonia Nordstrom. Today, I want to start out by thanking everyone who's been listening to the podcast and also thank those of you who have left kind reviews. I'm so grateful to all who have shared their stories and hope to bring more in the coming year. I'm very excited today to introduce my guest, who is a retired U.S. Army Special Mission Unit operator, canine handler, and another member of the American Tactical Aggregate Canine Training Team. He served more than 20 years in Army Special Ops, including 12 years as Green Beret, working as a Special Forces Medical Sergeant and as an operator from the U.S. Army Special Mission Unit. While assigned there, he served as an assaulter, master breacher, sniper, Operation Sergeant Major, and completed 10 combat deployments as part of the global war on terrorism in both overt and covert roles. Since retiring, he has worked in the civilian sector as Special Operations Canine Project Manager, Tactics and Shooting Instructor, Assault Climbing Instructor, and as a Contract Trainer for BORTAC Team, Naval Special Warfare Training Group Two, 75th Ranger Regiment, and multiple law enforcement agencies. So, without any further ado, please enjoy my chat today with Big Fred Fusco of Storm Tactical Consulting. Fred, I'm so glad that we could finally connect so that you could be my guest on Canine Top Tales. Welcome.
0: Thank you, I appreciate you having me on here.
1: So you have pretty much done everything tactical, and not only have you done it all, you're an instructor of everything. Can you just kind of share your pathway and background a little bit?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, I'll try to get the cliff notes So after high school, I went to culinary school, Uh, I thought I wanted to be a chef and I had been working in the restaurant business for a little while. Went to culinary school, finished, uh, worked in some pretty, pretty uh, reputable restaurants. But you know, I was a 19 year old kid with no social life because I worked every weekend, every holiday, long, you know, long, super long shifts. And I was like, you know what, this is stressful. This is not for me. I want to be a Green Beret. And it's uh, <laughs> quite the switch. <laughs> yeah, right. Different kind of stress, I guess. But um, so I went to a recruiter and talked to him. He said, You can't be a, a Green Beret right away. You have to join first and do something else for a couple of years, get some experience, and then you can try out. So um, I enlisted as a Stinger missile crew member. So basically, I was part of a two man team with a Shoulder fired rocket that could take out, you know, helicopters and jets. Uh, it was during peacetime. So I never actually did it, did that for a couple of years. And then I tried out for a couple of different special operations unit. I tried out for the, uh, the army's kind of tier one unit, if you will, it didn't make it. So then I tried out for uh, the green Berets. I made the green Berets and was in uh fifth special forces group as a medic for a few years the global war on t- you know 9 11 happened the global war on terrorism started um got a few combat deployments under my belt got some more experience and then i went back and i tried out for the special missions unit and i made it that time thankfully uh lucky mostly but stayed healthy and um went to you know their train up and got assigned to a an operational squadron and then from there continue to deploy in the global war on terrorism for i don't know several years uh probably like a total all all said and done of 10 deployments um did everything And what
1: years were, was that that what was
0: 2005 when i got there and i ended up retiring in <clears throat> 2012 which was my 20-year mark I decided to retire uh, at 20 years because I was pretty beat up, had a lot of injuries, uh, broken back, broken pelvis, head injuries, <laughs> had a torn ACL that I had to have re, uh, rebuilt or repaired from decoying for dogs of all things, torn okay. doing that. So yeah, it was an interesting ride, but I I loved it, I enjoyed it, I'd do it again if I could, and I have no regrets. Retired and worked in, in, in a job with a company specializing in, in canines for the military, which was cool. It was like a natural fit because um, I did work dogs, uh, the special operations dog side for my last two years while, while at the unit.
1: So I have to go back. Why green beret out of your hat? I mean, did you have family members that were military? Did you have no. a background
0: with? No, actually just, uh, I don't have any cool stories like that um i mean i did have relatives like vietnam veteran uncles and so forth that went to viet or they went you know were in the army went to combat but uh nothing sexy i mean just normal you know infantry and stuff like that um honestly it was growing up in the 80s watching movies like you know rambo and um or john wayne the green berets that's probably one that did it for me i mean that wasn't the 80s but yeah, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. That's when so. you saw
1: it. <laughs> right, right. Yep. And not only doing all of this stuff and all of those combat tours, you're an instructor in most of it as well, correct?
0: Yes, yes. Um, I currently work as a contractor. Full. That's my full-time job over uh, um, at JSOC. So I manage a program, a tactical program. But my side thing or hobby it's it's a small business is training and mentoring and uh consulting i've done everything from consult tech companies and developing canine equipment to you know training rangers how to run and gun with you know rifles and pistols and or long range uh sniper teams so i've done a little bit of everything jack of all trades master of
1: none Oh, I'm sure you're a master of most is what I would guess. Um, So when you first decided to go to the canine side, uh, was that sort of a choice of assignment or was it something that you thought, I haven't done, I want to do, or how did you land there?
0: It was something, I I guess, kind of the the latter, um, something I never did before. And in my squadron, our canine team had some vacancies They had some guys that were going to move on. Uh, One of them was a good friend of mine. We came to the unit together. He was getting ready to move on. He was going to do his last trip. So, uh, you know, I was like, yeah, I'll I'll go work with dogs. I was doing sniper stuff, and I had been doing that a while. I never worked with dogs before. I always thought it was cool, and it looked fun. those guys on target, you know, when they were done, they were having fun, you know, training their dogs and different situational problems and, when they, you know, when they were, when we we're actually prosecuting the targets, they were having the most fun by, you know, biting bad guys, which is pretty fun, pretty cool. So yeah, I forgot to give it did a try. Did you
1: have any, did you have any personal experiences in the field, um, where the dogs were very instrumental in bringing everybody home, oh. whether it was yours or somebody else's?
0: Oh, oh, absolutely. Um, I'm sitting here today with a pulse probably because at least, <sighs> I think it's seven, seven of them uh, in my squadron alone that they were, most of the times it was um, searching for, we call them squirters, bad guys that leave the target because they either heard us coming on the helicopters or they had some type of early warning, some neighbor call them or something. Um, And they would go hide. They'd go run and hide in other buildings or wood lines or whatever and um you know we have camera systems in aircraft and stuff like that that watch that stuff and they can kind of direct us to areas they can't see everything they can't like penetrate the vegetation but they can see some you know the technology is pretty amazing so they can kind of talk us in to areas where those people hide and you know if you're part of that security team that's going with that handler you know he's got to focus on his dog and hunting that bad guy down so, he can't really pull his own security. So, we go out there with those guys and do that. And, um, you know, you're kind of putting it out there. So, personally, I've had, like I said, several dogs find um, bad guys either with an explosive device or suicide vest or something that found them before it was too late. You know, um, unfortunately, a lot of those dogs. They, they die because of that. Uh, they get either, either the bad guy sees them coming or the dog's on a bike and he blows himself up, or there was a dog that actually um, drug a bad guy out of a culvert by his leg. And we don't know for sure if the guy popped a grenade on his, on his belt, uh, what could have happened as he was drug, uh, dragging the guy out, he could have pulled the pin on the grenade. You know getting snagged and the thing just went off and killed the dog killed the bad guy uh-huh. as well but yeah there are several situations where stuff like that happened
1: in your i mean what you even do now and what you did for the private company and and even what you did at the end of your military career what kind of um specific challenges did you face that were sort of unexpected that then you took back and could train for, or what sort of um, things are you really asking these dogs to do?
0: That's a, a question we could probably spend all day on. Um, yeah, there's there's always issues, you know, every dog's different. They all have their own personalities, they all have their quirks. What the dogs see in combat, <clears throat> more, more times than not, there, there's a few exceptions. Was which much much less stimulating or stressful than you know the training, training hits, or training assaults. So you really
1: laid it on thick in training. Yeah,
0: yeah, to... we we build them up to be to make them think they're invincible. I mean, honestly, you know, just like police world, right? They do the same thing with a little more control because of the liability issue and you know certifications and whatnot, but um. Yeah, you know, train them to be invincible, and then that way, come game day, they're ready.
1: Were the deployments then pretty consistent with the training?
0: You might have had three of them that were like horrible, you know, where there's like, you know, uh, accurate gunfire or you know, IEDs or something like that. But then there's those other 97 that were like quiet. Everybody came out of the house and lined up, and we kind of cuffed them and took them back and, you know, was uneventful, so.
1: I just found even in in my level of training, creating reality in training is really the, the most difficult challenge. You know, very oftentimes, at least domestically, training's pretty sterile. Yeah. The environments tend to be a little bit sterile. They're sort of abandoned buildings or they're yep. abandoned neighborhoods.
0: There's always, like in Iraq, there's stray dogs everywhere. They travel in packs and they're always out at night and they're always barking at everybody that's walking around. You gotta, those dogs are dogs because typically they're off lead out in front of the patrol, have to ignore them, you know? And like stuff like that, you know, or, you know, donkeys or chickens or whatever, cats, you know, you see a, a donkey or not a donkey, a chicken go down a, down an alley because they do have chickens in the city. Um, you know, dogs gotta ignore that and just, out in front of the patrol looking for explosives
1: what would you say were some other specific training difficulties and challenges
0: i don't want to call it a problem but a harder training area was dogs in um in drive to hunt a man or they had a bite getting them off of that and then you know transitioning them to maybe we're post-assault in other words the target's secure and now we have to just kind of go along and do some routine checks for vehicles, for explosives or rooms or whatever, uh, getting the dog to kind of downshift, set, settle down a little. Um, that, you know, that's kind of always a problem, not always, but some dogs because they're so amped up and they, they love biting bad guys. That's like the highest level of reward, getting them to just kind of simmer down a little and then, okay, now let's go find some explosives, which is not as exciting. You know, you might get a, a a toy or something you know or a little bit of play some praise whatever
1: well he doesn't get the same level of feedback as a screaming man what kinds of um i mean when when they're hunting man because it is a higher level of excitement and animation distractions i'm sure are far less of an issue but what kinds of distractions were in the field that were difficult to simulate in training
0: that's a uh, that's a great question so that's kind of one of the grading criteria if you will for our dogs because our dogs were a different level you know they're not the average police patrol dog or you know military working dog they had to kind of discern and you know ignore chaos smaller forms of chaos in other areas i.e setting up a breaching charge on a door to gain entry to a building that loud explosion followed by you know, potentially grenades or flashbangs or what have you, or just shotgunning doors open, all those explosions going on, you know, dogs get crazy when they hear stuff like that, but getting the dog to kind of tune all that out and to, to, uh, excuse me, to continue to search the building for, you know, hiding people or bad guys or whatever, um, that, you know, that's always a challenge is getting those dogs that are, that are clear headed. And, you know, they're social, they've got to be social because of all that chaos. They can't go around snap biting teammates or, or other operators. So there's a lot of chaos that they have to kind of tune out to focus on their task or their mission. So that 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 was a big, big challenge.
1: So, so you had deployed many times then as sort of backup to canines before you were in the unit, but meaning the canine part of it. Um, Were there things that you noted that you sort of weren't aware of when you actually started training your own dog? I had
0: no idea the amount of man hours and uh, detail and time that went into training a dog to get ready for a deployment. It's amazing. When I got to the dog team and I got my dog, Urs, you know, they're like, Well, we have a year to get ready to <laughs> to deploy. I'm like, wait, what? A year? It takes that long to train the dogs up. They're like, Oh yeah. And that's best case scenario. There's there've been exceptions where it was a shorter time crunch, um, where they had to get a dog ready faster than that, but normally it, it took about a year to to go from start to finish. And that's not a green dog. That's a dog, you know, procured in Europe from one of our trainers that's been through their little selection process with them and then the the we'll call it the beginner dog train up, you know, the training course for them. Then they get to the squadron, they get to their handler, and then they go through a whole buildup of training with that handler in a team. Because the dog's gonna be able to, like I said before, you're doing CQB or clearing a building, the dog's gonna be able to run through those rooms free off lead. And search out for certain either people or explosives and not interact with the other operators or support personnel. In other words, you know, you know, biting the wrong person or what have you. They have to be able to just to discriminate. And uh, it's it's a lot of work. I had no idea, none whatsoever, how much time and energy went into that.
1: When you met, you said it was Earth's? Earth, yeah. ERS
0: is I was told, I don't speak German, it's the German word for, uh, I think it was like brave or bravery or something like that. I don't know, you might have to Google it, but that's what some German folks told me.
1: What was he, what what kind of dog is he?
0: He was a dual purpose explosive and patrol dog. He was, he wasn't titled, but he was like a a pre-Schutzen or IPO kind of, they started getting him ready for that, for those lines. German Shepherd? Uh no, no. He was a Malinois and Dutch Cross, okay. I think. That's what okay. that's what his papers said. But he definitely okay. looked like a really dark Malinois, and um, okay. he was a great dog.
1: And what was your first impression of him?
0: <laughs> uh, kind of a. I don't what know. was his
1: first impression was, of you? I guess he is was a better super question.
0: social. Like I was surprised at how social this dog. Was. Like he was a love bug but when it came time to flip the switch and turn them on like he could he could bring it it was uh it was pretty pretty amazing to watch those dogs go into work mode
1: <clears throat> and so did it take kind of a while for you to bond up together so that
0: or... um yeah you get usually you get about and it's usually incorporated into like a team trip like a fun trip so you get about two weeks and i think we went to colorado we went to um steamboat springs and we did like a winter training trip did some skiing did some horseback riding some ice climbing and then during that stuff the, the dogs didn't do all that obviously they were new dogs they were just getting socialized bonding with us but we took them everywhere they stayed in our cabin with us you know we're feeding them and watering them and playing with them every day and taking them <clears throat> you know like he came with me when we went horseback riding Oh, you're kidding no i'm serious
1: wow i can't do that with mine and i've got mine were raised with the horses and i wouldn't do that
0: (laughs) you didn't like get up on i didn't like throw sling them over the horses i know but still
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's pretty amazing i'm afraid mine would get stepped on
0: and honestly that's yep and honestly that's another test even before the training starts is like how they interact around you know like horses because you'll see horses and mules and cows and whatever
1: um so if you were to say now, what are some of your, you know, you, you basically are, I would assume, a master of integration of canines and tactics right. in that setting. Are there certain things that, I mean, in your capacity right now, that's what you're doing? or?
0: Uh, right now, no, because the unit I work with uh, does not have a program. Not yet, anyways. Um, but they work with other. They get integrated with other units that do have dogs, so they do see the dogs. Just they don't really work directly with them. So I'm not really doing anything canine related at the moment. Occasionally, I'll help friends out with their dogs, or you know, if I get some police buddies that need a, a tune-up with their dogs or something like that, I'll definitely help out. But currently, I'm not. I'm not doing that. <clears throat>
1: and I know that with um, American Tactical Aggregate Canine you and steve stoops are yes kind of hanging out training regularly
0: yep so uh steve who's already been on your your show your podcast uh you know he's a he's probably my favorite mentor he was definitely a mentor me coming up uh we met a little bit later on in my time in the program and um uh, like i still learn from that guy to this day like he It's amazing talking to people in the canine community. They all know Steve Stoops and like, it's, it's, it's crazy, but he, he's the Zen master. He is the Zen master and, uh, (laughs) he's well known. He's very reputable and he's, he's a super humble man. And, uh, yep. We like to, we like to drink, well, he drinks the PBRs, but I like the finer beers. I'm a little bit of a snob beer and whiskey, but. We do uh, have beers together every now and again. And then sometimes on the weekends, we'll get together with his local knuckle-draggers training club. Yep, the combators, canine combators with some civilians that are working their dogs for protection and, you know, obedience and stuff like that. We get out there and just have fun.
1: And are you working a dog with that?
0: Yeah, so I have a – he's kind of retired from working. I mean, I'll still give him bites every now and again because, you know, he loves it. He's about 10 years old um, boy, who is a dog that I procured on a trip to Europe when I worked for a company uh, as a, I was like there's special operations, canine pro- project manager, I guess. And um, bought 20 dogs over from Europe. He was one of them. He had some orthopedic surgery while he was at that place. So they were not able to sell him to, to a law enforcement agency or a military unit because of that, uh, you know, most of those people are looking for longer longevity lifespan of a working dog, which when you have orthopedic surgery, typically the dogs experience earlier onset of arthritis. So they retire a little sooner. um, So they don't want to spend money on them. So I was lucky enough to work or consult for a company uh, designing the newest, latest, greatest canine camera system and they wanted a, a dog that was super social, that we could do demos, go to trade shows and do bite work. And then five minutes later, take him over to the kids and get pictures taken and loving on, you know, getting rubbed on. So I needed that kind of dog. And this dog was perfect for that. So we got him and I continued to train him, you
1: know, after I left that company.
0: <clears throat> and yep, he's 10. He just turned 10 in October.
1: It's it's hard watching them get older, that's for sure. Did you, yeah. so I imagine that Erse, since it was such a short time, that he stayed behind, he didn't retire with you?
0: Nope. No, he didn't retire with me. He actually uh, became a police dog. I don't know where. I try to get in touch with, uh, it was Mike Suttle in West Virginia, who we, we procured the dog from. And he, I don't remember if he said what department he went to, but it was nowhere close. Cause a thing about reaching out to them and, you know, seeing if I, you know, I could talk to the handler, but I, I never, it never happened. So he he's gone by now, but he was a, he was an awesome super dog and he was kind of my, you know, thrust into that, that world kind of the motivation for me. He was a super partner. The short time we had together, uh, was pretty awesome. And I learned a ton and kind of pushed me to learn more. So
1: did he end up deploying with other people too? Or did when you left, he left?
0: No, um, (laughs) funny story, I guess. I don't know. Cause when I left and I, you know, I toot my own whistle saying, well, it's cause the bond we had, but I don't know. Cause after I left, they couldn't, they couldn't do it. They, they tried working him as like a backup and they had issues. Working him, he wasn't like doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing, and they were like, All right, let's try to send him back and get a return and get another dog or something. I don't know. I left the team, so I went to go help run the kennel, and uh, yeah, they sent him back. So
1: maybe it's because he knew you were a good chef and whoever he was going to go to <laughs> wasn't going to have else, his good who, stuff on the floor. Who else I would know. have given him those
0: special treats? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
1: If if you were to give um advice to people who want to be handlers or um whether it's for police or military or people just even people who you know want to work with dogs even if they're not the handlers what would that advice be I know that's a broad yeah, that is silly broad. question um, but
0: I guess my advice would be especially if it's a person that's not crazy about dogs you know there's those people out there that are just not dog people do it and it'll give you a new appreciation and understanding of of those animals and how they think and act and behave and they'll change you they will literally change you know there's that saying it's life-changing or they're a game changer that's absolutely the truth working that close and having that bond and that relationship with that dog every day day in day out
1: were there things that you saw that just you couldn't even explain how it happened?
0: I mean, that's yeah, that was like an everyday occurrence. Just about just the agility, the the level of like agility those those dogs have is like crazy. Uh, seeing the walls, they can <laughs> they can jump over, and you know we have this obstacle course at the unit that we would take them on, and just seeing their physical capabilities is is crazy
1: and what other kinds of um things even in training because you know there's we all see dog agility courses and we see the sport agility courses and things but you're kind of taking them and doing everything that oh yeah you guys have everything to
0: take, so right? everything from free fall parachuting you know skydiving with them strapped to your chest um fast roping and rappelling out of helicopters onto buildings um, you know, or, you know, rappelling off of rooftops of buildings, breaking windows and jumping in the window with the dog on you, and then clearing buildings, all kinds of, all kinds of fun those dogs are having and getting exposed to, and it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. It's quite the uh, rush. And then you retire and you're like, what the heck?
1: <laughs> I, I don't know that every dog would think that jumping out of a helicopter is fun, but... <laughs> Apparently that says a lot about the dogs well, are that selecting. I don't know. Right,
0: that's a part of the that selection process. I think, I think their attrition rate is what, much higher than ours was for for selecting and assessing. In fact, I know for a fact it was. You know, I think it was bad at spitballing the numbers, but it was definitely less than twenty percent of a. You know,
1: wow.
0: even the other guys would go. You know, buy dogs and, you know, they bring back, I don't know, six dogs. And on a good day, maybe a good trip, you might have two of those dogs make it, probably one.
1: And that's after how much time and how much training?
0: Usually they get 30 days with them before they actually, it's, it's like a selection course for the dogs. They get about a month, kind of a tryout. And then if they don't work out, they get sent back usually to the, the vendors and they, they'll get either another dog or they get a refund.
1: And and when they're getting that thirty days, is that with their intended handler or is that with the trainers? Nope
0: that's ju- that's just with the trainers initially. Okay. Well, they have to okay. make it past. So by that. the
1: time they get to you, by the time they get to a handler, they're they're pretty well vetted.
0: Yes. Yes. Although. There, you know, we have this saying: selection is an ongoing process for us. For the operators, it's the same with the dogs. Like I've seen dogs, <clears throat> we call it getting fired. But I've seen get dogs get fired in squadron, been there for a couple months, and then they'll just they'll be in a situation they've never seen, or something, you know, that we couldn't train for pops up, and that dog might, you know, show show itself uh, or show that weakness. And if it's something the trainer doesn't think he can work out or has the time to work out, because training time was, you know, was limited, obviously, because we're so busy, um, then they would send the dog back. I think you get like, normally get a year working warranty with those dogs.
1: And when you're deployed, the training continues as well as the missions, right? Yep.
0: Yep, absolutely. Because they got to stay sharp and they got to, you might go, I don't know, couple weeks, a couple months without needing to search for an explosive device for, for whatever reason, maybe a slow trip or slow deployment. I know right now the op tempo, you know, the operational tempo is slower now for guys on deployment than it was back in 05 through 09 when it was like the wild west, the height of the GWAT. So we were going out every night, sometimes a couple times a night. You got to maintain those skills and the trainer goes with the team to deploy. And he's there to do that, to provide that training slash maintenance slash troubleshooting if, if the, you know, they saw something weird on a target with the dog, then they'll try to work on that when they're not doing anything.
1: Did you see any dogs that after a few rough deployments, you, any sort of PTSD or behavioral changes that just kind of were. They got a little shattered or did they bow up a little more?
0: I I did not from um, the dogs I was exposed to, but I heard that happening. Um, we had a pretty good handle on retiring dogs uh, after a certain number of deployments. Like it didn't matter how rock star the dog was, um, you know, a certain number of deployments and that, okay, that dog's good. Let, let's retire him and we'll, we'll kind of get either another dog if that Handler is going to stay on the team, or, but yeah, they were pretty good about
1: retiring. Did most of them retire to their handlers' homes,
0: or most of the time, yes. There was a couple of exceptions. Um, for instance, <clears throat> you know, every dog's a little different, and they have to do this um, test uh, that that Lackland this this guideline test um, suitability for retirement to you know to a a non I guess military home or whatever you know going home with the family so you know some people have really small children or babies or whatever or maybe there's a like a special needs person in the house or something like that so there was probably a few exceptions, but most of the time the dog would uh, retire with the handler
1: and and live out a good happy life
0: oh yeah (laughs) the transition to house dog is is pretty it's pretty fun to watch Uh, i have a few buddies that retire their dogs and They turn into uh characters when they get to the house because it's completely different than what they're used to you know they've been living in military kennels their whole lives and uh, and then they go home where there's couches and scraps dinner scraps and you know kids and it's it's pretty funny transition to watch
1: if you were to say are there any myths that you thought going in that you quickly dispelled as a, like what you thought going into it versus what you thought coming out of it
0: I don't I don't think so I mean before working with them before I got where I was you know I you know it's like I think it's a stereotype that everybody has in their brain as those dogs are man-eating monsters that <laughs> The only person they don't eat is the handler and then everybody else does and i i think that's probably had some truth in it back in the police old police canine days that's probably where that came from i don't know but um yeah i guess my misconception is how like team or pack or so you know socially uh stable they are like like i said even with at home with the kids like i've had some uh dogs i had to keep at home while i was doing that job for recovery the head surgery or whatever from from gunshot wounds and, and stuff like that dogs actually survived and brought them home because they can't stay in the kennel they have to be under kind of 24-hour watch and you know dressing changes and the whole nine kind of little nursing care for the dog um and just watching them around the families like wow you know, initially they're muzzled and because you, you're not really sure, you know, you're scared, but and it's like they settle in and they they just, you know, and that's what the trainers train them for. That sociability, that's they, they've got to be a strong dog. They've got to have the nerve, but they've got to be super social.
1: Well, they need that desire to bond and to want to be yep.
0: connected. You know? Yeah. And, you know, like I said, chaotic conditions. I might have to climb a wall or to a rooftop to get into a building. And I've got to hand my dog up to somebody or tie a, uh, a rope to him and hoist them up to a rooftop. And somebody else has to grab them. And you know, that in the dark, you know, a bunch of weird looking guys in the dark handling a dog that, that can kind of nuke you at a moment's notice. They've got yeah. to have a certain, <laughs> certain stability to them.
1: <laughs> yeah. Did you have any accidental bites?
0: <clears throat> not, not with the, not with the war dogs. I've had okay. some accidental bites with. Um, honestly, training dogs at that company, I did get an accidental bite, and it was completely my own fault. Something stupid. I was trying to show a new apprentice trainer something. He was trying to out out a ball from a dog, and me being this dog's sole decoy his whole time there. It's like, give me that leash. Let me show you how to get this dog in the trailer. So. That didn't work out well for me. Um, <laughs> and then another time was when I had boy. We're at the public dog park here in town. And boy is a super social dog. And then this guy lets his, um, I think it was a cane corso out of his car, runs right up to boy and starts getting very aggressive and try to snap at boy. So I ended up having to pull boy off of him. And, um, when I did, when boy let go of this dog's neck, the dog bit me in the arm and then in the knee, like really quick snap bites. So I needed some, <laughs> I need, you're not supposed to suture a stable dog bites, but they were pretty big. So Ugh. I went to the emergency room shortly after that, but it was a, someone else's pet dog, you know, just, yeah. he, he snapped a boy, boy was totally, completely good with him. And then he's, you know, you know how male dogs are, they growl, you start threatening, oh, I'm. You know, I'm tougher than you. I'm more of an alpha, and it happens. That was probably my own fault for bringing him over there. But
1: cool. So um, I will certainly include um, information. So if people want to get a hold of you, you say you are still working in a contract, but you still do your own um, uh, tactical, right? You've got yeah storm tactical, tactical.
0: consulting. Yes, okay. uh, storm tactical consulting. Yep, I have a. If you Google Storm Tactical Consulting, it'll bring you to the uh, to the link. Or I have an Instagram uh, with the same title and Facebook with the same title. Storm and that's for, Consulting. That's
1: for corporate, for police, for military.
0: That's for anybody, really. Okay. Um, okay. Yep. Only primarily the canine stuff I've I've done with clients has been military or security or police. Um, but. I've got friends that do, you know, home dogs and pet dogs. Oh yeah, Steve Stoops—he got me bit once. So I'll tell you that story <laughs> another time.
1: That doesn't surprise me at all. Well, and that brings me to—and hopefully, you and Steve, you know, through ATAC, will be teaming up. And yeah, we'll hopefully, hope
0: to, uh, we're trying yeah. to get it get it off the ground.
1: Yeah, because I think that <laughs> you know the combined dog zen and tactical zen that you guys bring is a nice package um to do whatever sort of
0: yeah everything the within. aggregate as he says
1: exactly right? the, and that's aggregate, why it's the, the aggregate total package shooting yeah, yeah. well and handling. i think that's it's a tough thing to bring all that together i mean it's one thing to sit at paper targets when you're not breathing heavy when you're not managing a dog when you're not running when you're not going <laughs> through a window when you're not repelling out of a building Um, entirely different right
0: exactly exactly uh you know they they will call it dog trainers will call it um um you know exposure to um environmentals right environmental training that's a whole nother meaning
1: (laughs) well you start
0: jumping out of helicopters and you know high high altitude aircraft and stuff like that some just the heart rate alone
1: is going to throw you off, right? <laughs> just just the heart yeah, rate it's... and the stress, right? You've got to simulate that stress somehow. And and I that's think right. that's, and and the commotion that you describe and all those other things. It's, yep. Uh,
0: stress, stress inoculation. Isn't that what the pro trainers call it?
1: I don't know. You're one of them. So I, if that's what you want to call it, that's what you can call it.
0: Make myself sound intelligent.
1: There you go. Yeah. I like that stress inoculation with canine. So any other words of wisdom you'd like to share?
0: no i don't i don't have a lot of wisdom Um, you've got a lot of wisdom you've
1: got a a lot you've got so much you can't even compartmentalize i just
0: i just like to have fun i like to find stuff and do stuff that entertains me and then i get bored after a while that's why i love dogs because they're not boring you know like cats are boring i could never have a cat uh dogs it's always something different always an adventure um but no just i guess thank you thank you very much for having me on. i uh, been looking forward to doing this for a while. You know, Steve's been ranting and raving about it. <clears throat> so has uh, Shannon. And yeah, I'm glad we finally got to talk.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Stay safe and keep doing the great work that you've been doing. And we thank you for all that you have done, past, present, and future. I hope everyone enjoyed this interview with Fred Fusco. I'd like to leave you with a quote that he posted along with a picture of his canine ears. Trust, having a relationship built on trust is the most important part of any partnership, whether it's human or otherwise. So take those words of wisdom and please tune in for our next interview whenever it may come. Stay safe. Thanks everyone for listening.